What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Fellow fiends, welcome to another terrifying and delectable episode of Nightmare on Film Street. The Horror Podcast with zero credibility, but all of the blood, ghouls, and gore your puny heart can handle. (laughs) Let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare on Film Street. I'm John. I'm Kim. And this week we are celebrating a long-awaited episode that we mentioned as a joke maybe a year ago? I think it was like six months ago. Okay, and we are still constantly getting questions, and people tweeting at us like, hey, when are you doing that episode? Uh, And I think it's just because it's a good snappy title. (laughs) That's right. We are finally doing our That's So Craven episode with Wes Craven's New Nightmare and Scream 2. We're celebrating our two-year anniversary. Nightmare on Film Street is two years young now. (laughs) And we thought, what better way to celebrate than by our namesake. We did our one-year anniversary with Wes Craven, and we're celebrating our two-year anniversary with the sequels of Wes Craven. So we paired two meta picks, and uh, that's why we got some new Nightmare and some Scream 2 this episode. Yeah, I think any, definitely Wes Craven, and really any 90s horror is probably how I would distill this podcast. Yeah, I'm kind of disappointed we don't have, like, party hats on for this episode. Just, like, not... It's an audio podcast! Yeah, but, like, I think... <laughs> we're wearing whatever we tell them we're wearing. I think it would shine through in our voices if we were like, you know, they're not really celebrating while they're recording this. I can tell. Yeah, I can hear in their voice that there are not streamers, there are no balloons. There's no party, it's a regular day over there. <laughs> what if we just had a bunch of noisy people just outside the door? Woo! <laughs> Woo! <laughs> like, those all sound like him. <laughs> the masterful effects of audio! <laughs> Woo! Woo! <laughs> <laughs> but as Kim mentioned, we have been doing this for two years. That's insane. That is insane. I feel old. Do you? Yeah. Really? Sometimes. Okay. Right now. You know you have green hair. Yeah, but 
I guess nothing's stopping a nine-year-old woman from putting on yeah. hair. <laughs> they all have purple hair anyway. A lot of them got that purple streak going. I like when that. did that start? And know. why? Why just the streak? I think it's like a toner gone awry. Like, they just went mad with toner and their eyes aren't good anymore, so purple. Yeah. <laughs> the grandkids say I look fabulous, so we're keeping it. Of course, this podcast would be nothing without a lot of people, including you listening right now. Uh, I want to give a big thank you to everybody that has subscribed to the show, everybody who takes the time to write a review and recommend the show to fellow fiends and friends that they think would like it. Just the size of the community that we have now, two years, and, like, we have this huge Facebook group, we have this Twitter collective, we have our Instagram, and, like, there's so many people out there that have invited Nightmare on Film Street, like, into their daily lives. Yeah. And I think that's such a cool thing, the fact that we have all of these people to, like, talk to and just enjoy horror with, and that's yeah. something that I think you and I used to do. It was just the two of us, yeah. and now it's, like... We get to have our conversations that we were always having having now with thousands of people. Oh, yeah. And there's something so, like, fun and lighthearted about what Nightmare on Film Street's become because I find that there's a lot, especially, not specifically with horror, but when you get into any kind of niches, whether it's, like, gaming or comics... Fandom can be pretty aggressive. Especially nowadays where you can really isolate yourself with your fandom. There's a lot of, like, negativity in it. Mm -hmm. And I find that a lot of times you can get flack for not being the biggest fan or not knowing everything. And we're just here because we like watching these movies and we wanted people to talk to about it. Yeah. And what I find is like in the Nightmare on Film Street community, you're not going to, nobody's going to say to you like, oh, you haven't watched that because that's not what this is about. Like this is about discovering things. It's about having fun and just enjoying horror movies. And I, I, it blows me away how huge we've become and like how, awesome our community is yeah nightmare has become more than just a small podcast it's like a virtual town <laughs> we are all members we're literally this... halloween town <laughs> yeah oh my god <laughs> rebranding starting today yeah no it, it's become way more than a podcast it's become more than just a facebook group and we have way too many people to thank for it especially our writers at the nofs podcast website uh all of the mods and our groups everybody who comments like i mentioned but i think we should all occasionally and i think we're doing it every day with every t-shirt we buy and everything that we post on Instagram. I mean, you listening too. A big thank you to horror movies. <laughs> Woo! Happy two years, horror movies! <laughs> yeah, we've, <laughs> we've been doing it for a little while now and I think we're getting the hang of it. Horror <laughs> movies. Another thing, we want to give a huge shout out to our Patreon supporters. We've just passed our microphone goal and we have a, <laughs> uh, a huge announcement for the next episode. If you follow us on Instagram, if you follow us on social media, you've probably seen that we've built a new office slash studio space. And beginning next episode, we are coming to you live from that creepy cemetery graveyard studio, which means new microphones, better audio quality, crisper, cleaner content performed in stereo, recorded in stereo. <laughs> I'm figuring out how this works slowly. Yeah, we've had the microphones now for about a month and we wanted to test them in the background before bringing them onto the podcast for, for reals, for the get go. Mm -hmm. um, we wanted to make sure we kind of knew what we were doing and that we weren't just recording John's voice and not mine, you know, recording a whole episode because that would have been a nightmare. But uh, next episode, we're going to have brand new audio quality. We're going to sound studio professional. 
and no more of this like tinny recording in a dark hall uh, or a train station <laughs> sound that you're getting right now. Yeah. But uh, thank you guys for sticking along two years with the audio we've had. We've kind of done the best that we could with um, the tools available to us. Yeah. I Thank you to everybody over at Patreon and your continued support. Whether you, whether you are a previous patron or a current patron or you're going to be one soon because you, you're just waiting for the right time. Thank you to everybody who supports the show. <laughs> also on Patreon, if you are a patron, you would have seen in the last couple weeks, we unveiled new Patreon rewards. We now have Fiend Club membership packs, little membership cards, which are super cool, uh, exclusive pins, stickers, t-shirts. There's all new rewards over at Patreon, and they have already been mailed out to existing members. So some of you have already been getting your packs. I've seen them on Instagram, which is really awesome. If you haven't gotten yours yet, you'll be getting it very soon. Tons of new rewards. It's like super exciting. There's so much happening at Patreon right now. Yeah, and I, I know we're front-loading this episode with a lot of business. We're just super happy that we are, have reached like such a cool milestone. Uh, and I want to say thank you to a few other people before we get on with the show. I want to give a big shout out to our most recent patrons, John S., Lorenzo, Brent, Kelly, Matthew, Taylor, Jesse, Jeff, and Dale. Guys, it's sequel time, and I'm going to need some more victims, I mean friends. Um, <laughs> you know... In the previous movie, uh, I had a whole group of kids that I, you know, my closest friends grew up with them. They're all dead now, and I'm going to need new ones to take their place. Uh, you know, I'm not saying that hanging around, around me late at night is going to be dangerous, uh, but, you know, we do need to do a lot of activities one-on-one -on -one, uh, <laughs> where it, it requires the two of us to be in separate rooms. Um, Operation Human Shield begins today, and, you know, just because I'm the final girl doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to make it out in the end, but I do appreciate your support. <laughs> Thank you for helping me stay alive and make it to the third one. If you have some snappy one-liners, you might be able to join me. <laughs> But not if you had snappy one-liners in the first one, then you die in a van. Yeah, it's a sequel, guys. All the rules are at the window. <laughs> if you want to support the show on Patreon, you can head to patreon.com slash Nightmare on Film Street. And with that, I think we are ready to talk about some Wes Craven movies. Yeah, let's talk about Wes Craven's new nightmare. The world of horror films suffered its own terror today as two of Hollywood's best-known special effects technicians were found dead. Can you come with me in my dreams? I think that only happens in the movies. What happens when the story dies, the evil is set free. Now that the films have ended, the genie's out of the bottle. That's what the nightmares are telling me, and that's what I'm writing. This is still a script we're talking about, right, Wes? It's kind of crossover, out of films, into our reality. The only way to stop them is to make another movie. Oh, my God. The bad man's getting awful close. You're going to have to make a choice. What kind of choice? Whether or not you're willing to play Nancy one last time. <laughs> Currently sitting at a 6.4 out of 10 on IMDb, 3 out of 4 Eberts, 78% on Rotten Tomatoes, and a 3.3 out of 5 on Letterboxd. Can I just say, I love the opening of this movie. I think it is so awesome. Yeah, and fun fact, so when we were originally watching this, we first watched this, 
I was trying to take a like a boomerang or a photo for my Instagram story. There's no title sequence at all in no. this movie. At least not on our VHS copy. No, there. I read in the trivia. I oh. confirmed the fact that there is no title sequence and. Somebody referenced it. I don't know if Wes Craven ever said it or uh, if that was confirmed, but to kind of blur the lines between whether this is a documentary, whether we're actually watching Heather Langenkamp and her regular everyday life, okay. and it's not actually a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. I kind of love that. I wish I had known that beforehand because I literally sat there with my phone open on the camera. <laughs> for like eight for and a good, half minutes. Yeah, for like a good 15 minutes. <laughs> we were almost into act two by the time you Yeah, because we phone. had the cold open and then we had like the whole earthquake sequence. And I'm like, where is the title? <laughs> Several people are dead. <laughs> watching the whole movie through your phone, basically. This is the this is the first movie that Wes Craven has directed since the original. He's had his hands in a few of the other ones. Uh, obviously, Dream Warriors would be the big one. This opening mimics that initial opening in the original Nightmare on Elm Street. I don't know if it has that same aspect ratio because our TV is old ass. Just square. So it's just <laughs> like the, that when that aspect ratio shows up on a widescreen TV, you're like, ooh, how retro, so fun. But on an old ass TV, you're like, oh, this looks good. Nothing's like stretched out wide. Everything fits perfectly in our square. Why is it panning so much? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's he's making his glove. He's sharpening the 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 fingers, the knives. <laughs> Fingers works. Yeah. That works. He's fitting them onto a fucking robot hand. Oh, this is so cool. I would, I mean, it would not be a great movie. Don't get me wrong. I would pay good money to see that movie with a, a robot, robot Freddy? Freddy. That would be cool. Cyborg Freddy? Yeah. That would be cool for um, when they reboot the franchise, which we know is going to happen. And I mean, it might take space. It might take seven years, but a Freddy updated for the times, like maybe he goes into your digital life, Whoa. like your digital self, because that's also like, you know, your dreams is a different version of yourself. Somewhere else you project who you are during the day. How abstract Kind of like fucking dreams. Instagram. Mm. Yeah, we could call them Graham Warriors. What? I don't know. It's all right. I don't know. It's pretty good. Uh, We'd call it... Um, at Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> like that's that's what the movie would be called. That would or, be really good for us. <laughs> well, yeah. People with their uh, fumbly thumbs. <laughs> we would make bank. <laughs> It'd probably be hashtag Elm Street. That would be cool. Hashtag Elm Street. I like it. I don't know. Like, not a lot of people fall asleep when they're social mediaing, but you know, second self. I get it. It, yeah, we're, it works. We're, we're looking at a different version of dreams here. Is what we're getting at. Yeah, but so new nightmare. First of the meta-esque Wes Craven. We're, we're really getting to see him playing within the genre more so than he has been already. Like, we're really stepping back and doing the film within a film self-referential bit. Yeah. Which, I don't know if New Nightmare gets enough credit for doing this because Scream totally overshadows. Scream takes all of it. it for meta horror in general, not just Wes Craven, Scream overshadows everything. Like, you have your Cabin in the Woods, you have your... Uh, Tucker and Dale's Scream. Oh, Scream yeah. is always number one. Yeah. There were a bunch of movies in the 90s, though, that were doing like that meta, is it a mockumentary, is it a movie type aspect, like Burn Hollywood Burn. I think it's Alan Smith, he presents Burn Hollywood Burn. Um, but New Nightmare, yeah, you're right. And I think this is his return to horror, isn't it? I think he, Heather Langenkamp even mentions in the movie, uh, like, Wes isn't even doing horror movies anymore. Um, but you're right. This This is the first one where... All of the characters are essentially playing themselves. Yeah. <laughs> they are. 
I guess I didn't have to say essentially. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, and it's it's dealing with that mythos of that horror movie and how it's affected their lives, especially Heather Langenkamp. I don't know that it does a great job of making it look like it's this Freddy thing has tormented her for 30 years. Yeah, I don't know if it ever feels real. I think that's where it's only kind of faltering a little bit, but... They do a really great job of blurring the lines and filling in real things about Heather Langenkamp, like her real stalker. Mm -hmm. And um, the time that's kind of elapsed between them all doing the first film and then all these kind of progressively sillier sequels Mm -hmm. and trying to come back with Wes and be like, (laughs) no, Freddy's this entity and he's actually really scary again. And the best way to do that is have everybody who is in the first one still being scared of Freddy. Yeah. It's cool because it makes him this omnipotent presence. It's kind of silly. Like, he's this god thing, and we go to a big temple at the end. Okay, but... well, the, yeah, like, we'll, we'll get to, like, the silliness of that, but large scale, everybody knows who Freddy is. He is a presence that exists over... All of pop culture. Even Heather Langenkamp explains in the movie, like, uh, the the doctor is asking her, have you shown your son your movies? And she says, you don't have to see Nightmare on Elm Street to know who Freddy is. Every kid knows who Freddy is. Yeah, he's like Santa Claus or... Exactly. You don't have to explain it. It's just, you're just born knowing. You pick it up by osmosis, I guess. Uh, Apparently that comes from a real-life moment, um, particularly the talk show scene where Freddy comes out and surprises Heather on that talk show thing. Right. And he's really, like, bar- like bantering to the audience, and everybody's just cheering for him, and they have Freddy signs. Yeah. Apparently that was real. Uh, Wes Craven came on some daytime talk show to oh. talk about horror and kids and showing okay. horror to your kids and how it damages children or whatever. <laughs> and when Robert England came out, much to the horror of the television producers and all the parents in the audiences, the kids just started cheering, Freddy! That's amazing! Freddy. Just the kids, yeah. though. Oh, this could was, not have gone better! Yeah. And everybody was just like, well, we lost. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. Mm-hmm. I want to see an entire documentary based on that one moment. <laughs> We're getting into dangerous territory, because I am I wanted to start talking about how cool Freddy is and... And and how much everybody, whether or not you've seen the movies, kind of has a feel for them. But we're going to get further and further away from the movie. So let's just let's get back into well, it. Well, the interesting thing about this movie is it's got a pretty long runtime. It's almost two hours long. Freddy doesn't show up for a very long time. Yeah. he He's talked about as like a concept. Yeah. And there's a lot of spooky, maybe it's Freddy, maybe it's not. Um, Heather Langenkamp's son in the film, Dylan... Mm-hmm is kind of possessed by him, or he's got this connection to to Freddy in that he can be, um, like, entranced by him. Yeah, he's got some sort of uh, sleepwalking problem, and obviously that's making him somewhat susceptible to this this god of fear that is... I'm just going to start calling him Freddy. I'm just, I'm just going to say Freddy. <laughs> Freddy, who's trying to break his way into the real world. It's like the kid is a conduit for it, and... The more scared Heather Langenkamp is for her son, and the more she believes that it's actually Freddy and not some sort of mental problem, the stronger he grows. Mm-hmm. And this is all sort of happening while Wes Craven's writing the screenplay in yeah. the film. Wes oh, Craven's man. writing the screenplay for this 
Nightmare on Elm Street film. Yeah, we even go to see Robert Shea in his office talking about how, like, oh, Wes is working on this new script. It's going to be so great. And that's when she finds out that her husband, who's the special effects artist, is actually working on that glove that was in her original dream that killed several people. Oh, the brilliant moment about that is that when she calls him to say, like, hey, you lied. Well, maybe not lie to me, but how can No, we... she's like, yo, you lied to me. Well, I don't think she ever asked, like, hey, you're not, uh, just, just out of the blue. You're not working on a glove for a Friday movie, are you? For a nightmare movie, And the glove is in the background, like, shh. (laughs) (laughs) But in her dream, his two assistants, Chuck and Larry, I think, are killed by the glove. And in real life, he's on set. The glove is there because obviously he's just working on it in his downtime. But he's like, I'm here. I'm slammed. I'm by myself. Chuck and Larry didn't show up. And, you know, we do not get a strong resolution as to what happened to Chuck and Larry. They Um, do die. Later on? Yeah, the cop mentions it, that they died in, like, a parking lot or something. And oh, okay, it's good. really, like, offhand, yeah. That's fine. I, I'm i totally fine with not seeing their deaths or whatever, because technically, I, I already did. They died in their dreams. I could do with some more death in this movie. Well, overall, yeah. We see that that uh, babysitter character. I'm like, oh, she's going down. And it wasn't until like, three quarters of the movie that she went. And you're like, come on, kill somebody. You know, you know the problem with that babysitter kill um, is kind of... A problem I have with a lot of the cool moments in this movie, it's it's all very borrowed from the original Nightmare. Yeah, and I would I, say homage. To- <laughs> I, I would think it's almost intentional, though. I wonder if this um, god of fear is... He's using Freddy. We know that for, for a fact. Like, he doesn't need Freddy, but Freddy is his way. He likes way. Freddy. Yeah. It's easy wouldn't? to be Freddy. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's somebody that everybody's afraid of, everybody's aware of, and he can sort of just Well, and especially inhabit. now that the Freddy character has notoriety, so just mm. his name incites fear. And Good point. Especially to these actors who have been kind of trying to distance themselves from Freddy all yeah. the time, especially Heather. Yep. Nancy. And John Saxton, too. But... I wonder if he isn't as creative as he is in previous movies because he has to work inside that box. Because they're from the first film? Yeah, and like he actually Remember how scary this was? Yeah, maybe it would evolve into something new when it kind of does toward the end of the movie. But it's it's like he has to go with what's previously established to be scary. Mm -hmm. And like, this is a small set of tools I have. Like, if it's a Dungeons and Dragons thing, he's on like a level one scale, and these are his his spells, and as he like levels up, he gets more and more. Uh... I don't know where you're getting at with that, but, um, yeah. well, I, what I think that because he's, he's trying to scare specifically okay. Heather and specifically okay. Nancy. I like that a lot, actually. She's witnessed all of these things from the first film mm. and they've really affected her. She developed a stalker. Uh, her son is being possessed by her first film. Mm-hmm. It's like appearing and coming on the screen a lot. So, I think Freddy is using the first film to haunt her. Interesting. She's being haunted by Freddy from Nightmare on Elm Street 1. Yeah, not... He doesn't look like Nightmare on Elm Street 1, but he sure is using gravity and blood and possessing people in the way that he did in the first film. Do we know if her in-real-life husband helped design the new Freddy? Uh, I don't think he had a part in this movie. Okay. Um, all I read was that he d- he didn't want to be he didn't want to play himself, so they had somebody else do it. 
But I mean, he if he's a, not an actor, then... he is a special effects artist. Yeah. So, like, a lot of this is that meta. She she did have a stalker. Her husband is in special effects. Yeah, the the two of them run a company, and they basically did most of the special effects, if not all. For well, I know he did, he specifically designed that crazy clown with no bottom jaw in American Horror Story, and they worked on Cabin in the Woods. They're all over your favorite horror movies That's now. That's so fun. Which is crazy. Uh, speaking of how meta this movie is, there was actually a huge earthquake that I don't remember what it's called because I don't know anything about the LA. San Andreas the 1994 oh. something something earthquake. Oh. Um, the earthquakes were written in the script. They'd done all the interior stuff and they were like, and then it happened? This is too hammed up. We, we, may, we may have exaggerated what an earthquake can do. And then they went to shoot B-roll after that big earthquake happened because they're like, perfect, we can get some exterior shots of the earthquake. Yeah. And they went around and they're like, Oh man, we did we not exaggerate. Yeah. yeah, so that was really cool. That's awesome. Very meta. She does not react to the the damage of her. House, oh, though. that bothered me the whole movie. There's that scene where the foundation cracks and splits, and like it looks like Freddy's clawed the wall. It looks dope. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop you right there. We're on the second floor. It's definitely not the foundation, but I understand what you're saying. The bones of the house. Sure. <laughs> it looked. It looked like something that should be addressed immediately. Like, I would grab my kid and run out of the house. Versus waiting for the like, babysitter to show up. Why are you watching A Nightmare on Elm Street, sweetie? That's bad for you. Like, lady, what happened upstairs? What just happened upstairs? She completely forgets about it. And I love when the babysitter shows up. She just fucking grabs a random cup of tea or whatever and starts drinking. Just starts drinking it. But, so, I was like, okay, maybe that was just a dream. She imagined that. It was part of her, like, nightmare, living nightmare thing that's yeah. happening. Later in the movie, in the background, it's still there. I'm like, yeah. it's still there. It, it was real. Yeah, your house has clearly shifted enough that the walls have cracked from corner to corner. But her husband died, so she's seriously dealing with more shit than collapsing inside her house. I mean, that's that's an easy way to explain away some of the decisions that she makes. But I mean, outside of a funeral scene, we don't really see a lot of grieving. Oh, the Heather Langenkamp morgue scene is my favorite thing ever. <laughs> So she has to go, she doesn't even have to go identify the body because they were able to do it from his personal effects. Yeah. But she goes anyways uh, to the morgue and the mortician is being very like delicate with her and only showing just the face, which they've already made up. Of course. But she sort of starts seeing there's like some slashes on him. Obviously they're Freddy slashes and she keeps trying to like yank the sheet down and the mortician's no, 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 no. And then she does and she throws up everywhere and he's like, <laughs> that's why we, we, normally don't lift the sheet off. <laughs> but then while he's consoling her, her husband's arm falls off the gurney and he's like trying to push it back up discreetly. Very, oh, very much enjoyed that scene. I don't even think they do it in the same room anymore. Ugh. I think it's just like you in a plate glass and like a nicely decorated room so it doesn't look so cold and sterile. I think it's because people jump on the body. Well, instead. I think so. That's also why they don't do the lowering of the casket anymore, really. Scary. Yeah. It's sad. Well, yeah. Obviously. The lowering of the casket in this is pretty cool. Because there's a big Freddy sequence where the coffin turns into a gateway to this other world, and you have that coffin lining turning into a, a tunnel, almost. Yeah. It's very cool. Now, is that real? Is that something that only Heather can see because she is, like, deep in this Freddy world? Or do you think it's just cool imagery? Well, I'm pretty sure they established that it was sort of a, uh, a dream, because she passes out because of the second earthquake or whatever. Mm. And John Saxton's like, no, nothing happened. You didn't jump in there. And she's like, I jumped in there like a fool. Like a fool. <laughs> Everyone saw. John Saxton's great in this movie. He is great in this movie. He's playing her not really dad, but 
paternal figure yeah. who then becomes her dad when Freddy's powers come full circle. It is one of my favorite parts of this whole movie when he comes in and he's clearly wearing a detective's jacket. He's got his badge on. He's got and his And then gun. he climbs into a cop car at the end of the scene and you're like, oh my yeah. god. First off, where did that cop car come from? Uh, but secondly, like, it makes for one of the coolest moments in this whole movie. I don't know that... that I or anyone in the audience would have noticed him first calling her Nancy. Because I think your brain would have just accepted it. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, she's Nancy. I'm watching this on a movie. It's a TV screen. It says she is Nancy. She's not Heather Lang at camp right now. But she calls attention to it when he mentions, when he says it a few more times. And upstairs we can see that Freddy is sort of starting to rumble. He's, he's growing. He's stretching up out of the bed. But he pauses for a minute because he needs her to accept it in order for him to gain more power. And when she says, bye, daddy, he pops up out of the bed. But fucking totally worth the wait. We have that music cue from the original Nightmare on Elm Street. Like, we get our score back and we are finally in a Freddy movie. Yeah, that's so cool. We were both getting a little bogged down by the time. I know. I was like, why aren't they killing anybody? Where's Freddy? What's happening? I loved kind of um, seeing Robert England and how Robert England is separate from Freddy and then he just disappears. He becomes like a Freddy philosopher, but you're right. He just skips town. Yeah. Like, and his voice, his outgoing voicemail is, it's like we're, uh, we're going to be out of town for a little while. You're like, is, are, are, are you, you Freddy? Into Freddy? Or, yeah, yeah. Or are you just scared? Did you just going? put a sweater on and turn your phone off? Do you think, of course he owns that sweater. Why would I even ask? I'm sure he owns a thousand of those sweaters. He's probably got a lot of them. Oh, I would have a, I would have a robe made out of it, right? Ugh. I think Robert England and Freddy are two different people in this movie. Agreed. Originally, they had written a scene where Robert England, I'm not sure if he gets killed, but he gets attacked. captured, attacked, yeah, in by night- Freddy. In a nightmare. In a nightmare. Freddy turns into a big spider. Robert England is caught in a web. Sounds cool. Um, they, I think they eventually cut it because it was a little too silly for the tone they were it's going like, for. It's like Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, but not New Nightmare. Uh, but something I read that I did not notice when we watched it, Robert England is, is himself mm-hmm. in the credits. Freddy Krueger is himself in the No credits. way! Yes! Yeah. What? Does not even say played by Robert England. That's incredible. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. That's brilliant. Yeah. Oh, man. I think it's a I think it's a bummer that we don't see Freddy kill Robert England in this movie. I really wanted that. But for I, this movie, I wanted it for the film. When else are we going to get that, right? N- never. You're going to get that in like a fan-made short or something. Yeah. If they can convince Robert England to do it, but um this was our one opportunity. I would have accepted just a nightmare where he attacked him. That's cool, I guess, but oh, to have Freddy kill Robert England? What if that was what gave him all the power, right? Yeah. I mean, if they do another Nightmare on Elm Street movie, I trust 100%, like I would put money on it, that Robert England will be in it in some fashion. He he just seems like that type to always be down, play a professor, oh, or yeah. play, the he's just a custodian scene, or something yeah. like that. Like, Robert England will be in it in some fashion. Yeah, he'll be a teacher. Yeah, something He'll like that. He'll be an old crazy guy they go to for answers. Yeah. I, I think, honestly, if if they make another Nightmare on Elm Street movie, they have to have him in it because they need the audience buy-in. There's there's too much... That's so true. It can't yeah. just be another remake. It needs to have somebody's seal of, of approval, and it, and it can't get Wes's anymore. No, unfortunately so. not. But people... Uh, I think that Nightmare remake left a really bad taste in everybody's mouth, unfortunately. I don't hate it. Let's, we'll talk about it in an upcoming <laughs> episode. But... I think that's the only way to sort of get back in good graces, even if it's not great overall. If they have Robert Englund, at least they're saying, like, well, we fucking tried, right? Yeah. 
Are there any other scenes that you want to talk about that we didn't get to? I will say before we move on that um, I, I completely understand why we didn't have Freddy kill Robert Englund. Because realistically, think about it. Nobody that gets killed in this movie is a real person. Because it, it has to sort of exist in reality still. Freddy doesn't kill Heather. Freddy doesn't kill John Saxton. Fre Freddy doesn't kill Wes. I mean, technically he does kill Heather Langenkamp's husband. But it's not really her husband. It's an actor. Oh. An actress can die. What about the babysitter? Oh, not a real person. Exactly. Babysitter. Huh. Babysitters aren't real people. <laughs> no, but she's not playing herself. Yeah, exactly. And you know what's great, too, is as we get toward the end of that movie, like, Rob, Robert Shea plays himself. Mm -hmm. Lynn Shea plays a nurse. It's like we start to get more and more into a film as the movie goes on. Mm. Lynn Shea could have just as easily played Lynn Shea. Of course, I don't know that she was, like, the figure yeah. she is now back then. Apparently, Wes Craven's daughter was one of the nurses, too. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Probably the one that got Johnny Depp hired. It's a bummer that Johnny Depp wasn't in this movie. Apparently, Wes was too apprehensive to ask him because he was no such way. a big um, star at this point. Wow. And he bumped into him later, a few years later, and was like, we really wanted you to be a nightmare. And he's like, you should have asked me. Yeah. <laughs> I did a dumb PSA and Freddy's dead. I totally would have been in your movie. Yeah, so would have been interesting. I don't know what capacity he would have played, and he would have been way too huge of a star because for him to play himself, it, maybe something like maybe the limo driver drops off Heather Langenkamp and picks up Johnny Depp. <laughs> that'd be interesting. I don't know. Maybe he'd do it. It's hard because he dies in the original ones. He can't come back as his character. No. What, do you what if he died again? What if it was the exact same oh, thing? Oh my god, that would be great. Like he called her. Like in they're the doing middle promotional of the night somewhere. photos or something, <laughs> and he, cool. they, they have him lie on the bed in the crop top. <laughs> um, you want that crop top? I do want That's that. That's all crop you want. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even need Johnny Depp in it. I just want the crop top. <laughs> Is there anything else you wanted to talk about before we moved on? Anything we forgot? Uh, well, we didn't reference any of the, like, Hansel and Gretel stuff, which I thought was fun. Hansel and Gretel stuff. Um, yeah, Mum reads the kid Hansel and Gretel. The entire oh, ending is, like, yeah. to get to her son who's been kidnapped, she takes the sleeping pills and is, like, following the breadcrumbs to her son. Yeah. And then how they thwart Freddy in the end is uh, they throw him in an oven, like the witch in Hansel and Gretel. It's pretty great. So I like that. I didn't really like any of the Dylan stuff. No. I d see, but that's our hang-up with kids in horror movies because they get too much... They get all of the meat in the acting, and they can't quite handle it. Like, kids being possessed, and kids being evil, and shouting evil stuff. They did a lot of cool overdubbing with the kid's voice, but... Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, I was like, there's too much of this kid. Apparently, they say Dylan 103 times in this movie. Wow. And I would believe it. <laughs> For a screenplay, that's every single page. <laughs> that's a really good point. It's like a hundred, it's just under two hours, so easily a hundred and ten pages. Oh, yeah, man. Fuck. Yeah, so that's my only thing. I like the Hansel and Gretel bit, though. It really, like, ups the, okay, we're really going to follow Heather and her son and not Freddy for this whole movie? Okay. All right, cool, whatever. It's, it's a bit of a bummer that we don't get to a boiler room, but I think we do a pretty good job of, of seeing a boiler room type setting. Yeah, like, they, they do kind of replace it for this new iteration of Freddy. Yeah, with like a sort of, with sort of like a Mayan god temple. And the beginning of the movie, you're right, it is Freddy's real boiler room mm -hmm. in this movie because Freddy is a fictional character is a film set. Yeah. That's his boiler room. That's where he's born. It's to oh, it's so fucking good, this movie. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't get all the credit, so. No. 
Unfortunately uh, not. It's got a little bit of a lull in the middle. But it's whatever. a little long. It yeah. is a little long. Yeah, and I honestly, okay, maybe we should talk about at least the design of Freddy. I think it's genius because he's not super scarred anymore. Mm-hmm. He's being born as a real person. So he's more sinewy and muscly. He still has that sort of that st- same burned, scarred look. Yeah, he looks more action figure Freddy to me. I like it as a concept, but I don't know if it necessarily, the design of the Freddy in this fits this movie. Yeah, his his nails, his fingers are a little maybe too sharp and pristine, but they haven't been used before. It's the face that gets me, the yeah. like the muscle builds and the purpley color and stuff. It's mm-hmm. very cartoony. It looks like action figure Freddy. Yeah, I don't know if it quite fits with the film for me. I like the design on its own. Yeah. No, it's it's not my favorite, don't get me wrong. But if I were doing like a connect the dots, you know, where you draw the, <laughs> the Freddy to the film, I don't know if I would instinctually put this Freddy with this film. I think there are just I just don't think they match, like tonally. But for me it's he's being born, he's being created, and he's becoming new. And real is the other thing, because he's in real life. It's not like we are in a dream and he can sort of mold. So he's opted for Terminator Freddy, is what you're saying. Yeah, I mean I'm a big <laughs> fan of Terminator. <laughs> sure. Yeah, let's go with it. Alright, so what's your rating? My rating is a pretty strong three out of four. I'm going to go three out of four as well. Yeah, 3.5 is a little, a little high Yeah, for me. it's a little high. I was going to do two and a half, but the concepts are so good. But I like a three out of four, asterisk, totally watch this again if you haven't yeah, seen definitely. it in a while. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, especially if you haven't seen it in a while, because it's got some really great ideas. And before you watch Scream, like I would always recommend before you do the big Scream revisit, mm-hmm. watch New Nightmare, because you'll see where Wes was going. Absolutely. Like, what he was his thought process for horror and this genre as a whole, you can kind of see the evolution in these movies. Yeah. And for an era where the horror was under attack for being too violent and influencing kids and, you know, disrupting the youth, it's no surprise that this is what he made. And it's really no surprise (laughs) that when Kevin Williamson's script came across his desk, he was like, this is the fucking movie we're making. Rock music went grunge and horror went meta. (laughs) Yeah. That's so brilliant. That's the 90s in a nutshell right there. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. 
or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. All right, so moving on to our next film, Scream 2 from 1997. Two Windsor College students were murdered last night during a sneak preview of the new movie, Stab. It's starting again, Randy. This has nothing to do with us. Randy, a guy in a ghost mask hacked up two people in a movie theater telling our life story. Hi, Gail Weathers, author of The Woodsboro Murders. Do you think the killer will strike again? We have no evidence that this is a serial killer. It's a classic case of life imitating art, imitating life. Are you suggesting that someone's trying to make a real-life sequel? Do you think someone's trying to duplicate Woodsboro? It looks like it. I think you have a copycat on your hands, Chief. Hello? Hello, Sydney. Remember me? What do you want? I want you. It's showtime. Currently sitting at a 6.1 out of 10 on IMDb, an 81% on Rotten Tomatoes, 3 out of 4 again from Roger Ebert, and a 3.1 out of 5 on Letterboxd. Fucking Ebert gets it. I would expect Ebert to have given this a lower rating. I think Ebert likes Metawar. I think Ebert just likes good writing, is what it comes to. And yeah, obviously good performances, good directing and everything, but Ebert understands a vision and an execution of that vision. Yeah, well, apparently Siskel and Ebert agreed on this movie. No way. Liked it. How often did that happen? A horror movie, yeah. But there's something about meta-horror that I think critics, and especially ones who who aren't really horror-leaning, can get behind because you're dissecting what it is that makes the genre tick. Yeah. And as a critic, you're doing that every time you watch a horror movie. You are essentially breaking the fourth wall in in dissecting what it is and why it's doing what it's doing when it does it. (laughs) And for a meta-horror movie to do that, you're like... You did there. Yeah, like you did the job <laughs> for me. More yeah. Or less. Like, which makes it even harder to talk about as a critic at that time, I guess. Like, uh, Cabin in the Woods, Scream, you're right. Those are all movies that critics that may not necessarily like horror movies appreciated because it's, it's fifth business, essentially. It's, it's dealing with the DNA of a horror movie. Yeah. And it's like, so horror gets a lot of flack for being a little bit cookie cutter and following a pattern. And I mean, all horror movies or all movies do that, but horror gets a lot of flack for that. And when you have a movie like Cabin in the Woods, it's like, oh no, this is supposed to happen now. Yeah. Critics are just like, nah, I get it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So Scream 2 is one of those movies that you kind of just have to put on and enjoy in a completely um, like trashy teen bop way. Okay. Which is... So, that 90s horror anything is just this, like, I love the fashion, I love the hair, and I love how nothing really makes sense, and everybody's aware of it, and you just go with it. Like, why is Gail Weathers at this college? Why are we doing press conferences here? What is Dewey doing But it's here? a sequel. Like, the, the, those are questions that the movie itself is asking. Nobody, nobody's working. Gail's not hired by any news outlet. It She's doesn't seem like it. running around with a camera operator. <laughs> yep. Cotton and... is never, like, where is Cotton sleep? He's at the school the whole movie. <laughs> I love, I love that you said Dewey does not need to be there, because when we're first introduced to Dewey, he is bumbling around. Just like, standing around. Like, yeah. like, he just blipped uh. into existence. Like, how did I get here? Under a tree. Just like, oh, uh. Sydney, hello! 
<laughs> and then he's tasked with, like, tasked himself yeah. with, like, gotta protect Sid. And it's like, I'm the big brother now. There's yeah. several police on the case. You know, honestly, not that bad for his character. He's a big brother, he's a cop, he's super protective, and his sister's dead. Of course he's gonna start taking care of Sid like it's his sister. It's not Woodsboro, though. Well, no. And that's that's a testament to the, the love that he has for his surrogate sister. He got <laughs> on a goddamn plane and he went out there unpaid, still unrestricted access to the police department <laughs> for some reason, but he's there with his beige jacket and his limpy arm. He's really hamming up that, that limp in this movie. He's, he's hamming it up way more in this movie than in the third or fourth one. Especially since there's a lot of scenes where he's acting in the bottom of a school auditorium, and they make him run up and down those stairs several times. <laughs> like, you're being really cruel to Officer Dewey, I mean, ex-Officer Dewey right now. Is he not? Well, I guess because he's out of his jurisdiction. And he's, I think he's retired for, Is like, he? injury. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, if I was involved with, like, a serial killer case, and it just shattered my understanding and you died. of teenagers, <laughs> and I nearly died, I might I might take a leave of absence. <laughs> you like to think you're that tough person who would, like, oh, I'll be there the next day, whatever, put a bandage on it, I'm in. I don't know. Like I could, I could have a spider land on my head at any given job and go, I can't do it anymore. <laughs> I'm out. I need the day off. It touched me. Not even a spider, just the web. Webs touching a spider web, like walking through a spider web, is something uh, I would not wish upon my enemies. I'm like hunching up into a ball. Does right that now not just ruin it. your day? Or where there's a, there's a there's a fly like real close to your ear, but you can't get it and you don't see it. Like you just like it's you know it's super close. My web was better. Well, the web was better, but um, yeah, <laughs> bugs in general, guys. Ugh. It's funny that you think this movie is so trashy. I think it's intentional. I think it's garbage, and it's wonderful I garbage. I think you're just it's a looking... flaming hot pile of awesome. You gotta look past the fashion choices, kid. I like... am! Okay. And sometimes not the eyebrows, though. There's a lot of eyebrows. <laughs> there are some eyebrows that are so thin, you could not draw them on that thin. Except for Portia de Rossi. She's got enough eyebrows for everyone! Uh, Portia... Okay. This is becoming an episode of horror movie makeover. But... <laughs> makeover, makeover. <laughs> <laughs> Makeover. And I did not okay. know it was Portia de Rossi, <laughs> Rossi initially. I'm like, why is this girl familiar? Her voice sounds funny. Uh, I know who this is. I'm just waiting for the day where one of those sites makes an infographic of like the evolution of Courtney Cox Arquette in each of the Scream <laughs> movies, like based on her haircut, makeup, and outfits. This one we have like thick, boxy highlights Arquette. Or, I don't know if she's not Arquette at this point, is she? I, I think she no might idea. just be Courtney Cox. But her makeup and every scene, she's got burgundy streaks <laughs> in her hair, yep. burgundy eyeshadow, and burgundy lipstick. And you're like, you are just going for it. She's you a news reporter it. that understood branding. She's getting <laughs> herself out there. She's making herself known. It's what you gotta do. And <laughs> she, as a reporter, she ruins every single piece of film that she has got hired this guy to take by snapping in front of the camera I know, well, and pointing at talking. herself like, hey, I'm still asking this question. We're not going to edit around it, though, so you better get your fucking <laughs> eyes over here. Terrible. And, like, she is a fucking rock star in the reporter world, I guess, because we're at a press conference where two kids have been brutally murdered. A press at conference at the school, which had nothing to do with the crime, yep. might I add. Other yep. than that the victims were students, I guess. Yeah, you want to make these kids feel safe, better have the press conference giving gory details about how their friends were murdered in the quad. Where all of their friends and peers can watch. But more importantly than getting info from the detective, the chief of police, we're gonna ask Gail Weathers about what she thinks of all this. Gail's a uh, Woodsboro celebrity. 
we're not in Woodsboro anymore, Kim. I know. There's really I know sh- we're not. There should have been a line where somebody said that, and if there is, I maybe just missed it. Randy should say it. That we're not in Woodsboro anymore. We didn't even talk about. We totally grazed over the opening sequence in this movie. I think it's the great. Uh, it's the, the second best the, cold opening. The, in the franchise. thing about. The Scream movies is they are about their opening. And in this movie, we get two. We get the movie theater opening of Stab, the horror movie within the horror movie, based on the Woodsboro Murders, which is a book that Gail wrote about Scream 1's occurrences. Yep. (laughs) And in that, we watch Heather Graham playing Drew Barrymore getting murdered by the Ghostface Killer in the cold open. It's I, just, like, it's insane. And I, th- I think Heather Graham originally auditioned, too. Like, I think she lost the role to Drew Barrymore. That's great. I think it's perfect. That's so great. I want to go to a movie premiere oh my God. that has as much energy as Stab. First, they have things flying through in the ceiling. Oh, yeah. It's like a William Castle release. We've got a fucking ghost flying across the audience. Everyone's Everybody's got a costume. Glow-in-the-dark shit everywhere. Yeah, but more importantly, no one is sitting. This is a rock concert. People are two fists in the air cheering at this shit. And honestly, a little morbid. Oh, it's totally morbid. Can, can you imagine going to, like, uh, mm, I don't know. A movie about the Columbine shootings, like Elephant, like when Elephant came out, and everybody in the audience is like, so fucking pumped for this! Oh, so many kids died! It was my favorite day ever! Like, it doesn't make any sense. But I think that's the overall comment of meta-horror. Meta-horror is addressing, it's pointing the camera at the audience in a way that, like, the the sick pleasure we take from this. So there's kind of a weird nod to, like, what it means to be a horror fan Mm. every time you not break the fourth wall, because they don't necessarily break the fourth wall in this movie, but they they address what they are. Mm -hmm. And seeing the fans being, like, twisted because in in Scream 2 Stab is a movie based on real murders that occurred only a year or two before yeah. in California. Like they went into production on this film so fast. Yeah. They were just getting the galleys of Gail's new book and it was like in production while she was sending in updated drafts. Yes, very cool. Actually this movie was greenlit while Scream 1 was still in theaters. That's great. Yeah. When Kevin Williamson pitched Scream, he had already written a treatment for the sequel because nice. he's like, there's more story here. This is brilliant. Yeah. Oh, when I met a slasher, of course you're going to have a bunch of them. Oh, you're going to have a ton. And there's there's probably so much you want to say in Scream that you can't because it would only work in a sequel. Mm-hmm. Like, clearly he had more to say and he's really smart about it. I think the the... The analysis of sequels is as good, if not better. Of slashers. Oh, yeah. As you can't in, in analyze a screen. slasher without analyzing the sequel. It's insane. If you were to just talk about Friday the 13th and not talk about any of the other ones, you don't have anything to say about Jason. Yeah. There's nothing to say about Jason. <laughs> the whole cold open in the movie theater, it's, it's a lot like 8 Mile. Do you remember the end of 8 Mile? Where, like, no. Eminem's going up to, like, battle rap and he knows this guy's gonna make fun of him, so instead what he does is he just makes fun of himself for 20 minutes. Oh, and self-depreciating. Says, like, right? Says, one or two lines about this guy completely takes the wind out of his sails and wins the night. Mom spaghetti. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's how it went. Um. <laughs> and then people just like slow clap. <laughs> Yeah, and like, I think that's what's happening in this movie too, right? Like, oh, you want to talk about how crazy the the horror audience is with the the real life violence? We're gonna do it for you. Like, you can't say anything about our community and culture and fan base that we haven't already said in this movie. It's very true, and that's the first thing you see. So yeah, like, how can horror 
get so excited about this shit. And then you have people getting excited about this shit three times over inside the movie. Yeah. Oh, it's so great. Jada Pinkett is probably supposed to be like that person who's not in the horror community, right? Oh no, she is just like not. She about does not want to be there. No, and Omar Epps, her boyfriend, is way. He, I don't know that he's necessarily a horror movie guy. I think he's just like, yo, it's good get her hot horror movies foreplay. Like they, they cling to you, right? But well, he spends it's the whole. It's fun to get spooked. Everybody likes to get Agreed. spooked at the movie theater. Even if you're not a horror fan, you see horror movies at the theater. That's something horror has above everybody, is that there's a theater experience. That's why it's never going to go away. The only space we have in the movie theater right now is for big-budget blockbuster franchises and low-budget horror movies. Yeah, you have, like, million-trillion-dollar movies yeah. with superheroes and Transformers, and then... And then, like, max $5 million for this <laughs> And then, like, the horror. Blumhouse screening room. <laughs> yeah, and guess what? Those are the ones taking Oscars, guys! Fuck wait, off! Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> So if you think 2018, it's a fluke that we got two years in a row of great You're talking horror. to horror fans. Oh, yeah, I know you guys aren't surprised, but I'm saying <laughs> if you're worried that, like, oh, my God, 2019, are we still going to have another great year of horror? It's it's always going to be a great year of horror. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, here's my bets now, because we're way too early in the year, but I'm still doing it. Yeah. Uh, Quiet Place is going to get nominated for screenplay. and Because it's a completely, it's a weird screenplay. There's, yeah, like, nothing going maybe on. Maybe director for John Krasinski. Maybe, depending on what yeah. else comes out. Uh, everybody likes John Krasinski. I know everybody likes Name John a person Krasinski. who does not. Especially somebody in the Academy. There isn't one. <laughs> I, I think... Mm. And I hope Tony Collette gets Best Actress nominated. Yeah. I don't think Hereditary is going to get anything else because of all the weird buzz that's happening. But, yeah, um, I agreed. She should get Best Actress nominated. I agree. I think the screenplay should get, but... Mm. The screenplay's pretty damn good. Um, you know, fun fact, though, it's not a requirement to read the screenplay for Best Screenplay, That's so. fucked up. Yeah. I don't get it. Whatever. Um, you were telling me something interesting, and to get back on the movie, you were telling me something really interesting about the director of the movie inside the movie. I don't know why you're setting me up to say two words, but... Yeah, do it. Robert Rodriguez <laughs> directed <the> Stab. <laughs> did you know this? I did not know this. I didn't know this. That surprised the shit out of me. My favorite part about those Stab scenes, there's this, like, really awkward... I would just call it an exposition scene between Dewey and Randy, and they're hanging out at a Baskin-Robbins for some wow, reason. Wow, close-up shots of that Baskin-Robbins. Uh, there are so many. <laughs> so while they're talking, there's a TV screen on that's playing clips from the movie Stab, and one of the big scenes they play is when Billy gets out of prison. <laughs> In he's confronting Sydney in the high school hallway, and they have Luke Wilson, who's like forty years old, oh yeah, and way too tall to play a high schooler with the hair in his face oh, yeah. gelled down, eleven like, inch bangs. I don't know what you want from me, Sydney. <laughs> and Tori Spelling is is playing Sydney, but she's given away the whole goddamn movie. Like, yeah, you know, in Stab, I play this girl who eventually finds out that her boyfriend is a serial killer and kills all of her friends because of her mom. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> this is based on real life, so... I guess everybody kind of knows the plot already. Yeah, so it's not really a huge surprise, but it, it seems like it's giving shit away. Yeah. The uh, best part of that, though, is uh, right after that scene, we see a cut scene in there with Luke Wilson and uh, and Tori Spelling basically, like, saunters off screen, and Randy goes, I'll wait for video. <laughs> Fun fact about the spoiling, though, with this movie, the screenplay leaked... While That's the film right. was in production, like, murderers leaked, everything leaked. Which sucks, because um, the ending sounds like it would have been a lot better. Well, what they said was that they had three screenplays circulating because they were kind of anticipating Whoa. this. Whoa, can we put a pin in this for a quick second? Yeah. Do you remember, because we watched Scream 3 last night, 
There are the, a central part of that movie is that there are three screenplays. The killer has read one of them, and he is following the screenplay oh, and killing yeah. pe- person by person by person. But we don't know which one yet. That makes so sense. It's, it's a mystery. So that's like inspired by Scream Two. That's um, genius. So what they ended up doing after that happened was they tightened security like crazy. They started giving actors like the screenplay morning of. Yeah. And it was printed on the special paper that couldn't be photocopied. No way. It's like yeah. made of highlighters. <laughs> Uh, and it was pretty much closed set. Like, you had to sign an NDA to even be near the set. Wow. And nobody knew who the killer was until they filmed the scene. There were a bunch of different ones. So they had Cotton as the murderer. They had the best friend as the murderer. They had the boyfriend as the murderer. Yeah. They had the murderers who ended up being the murderers as the murderer. Yeah, the roommate was supposed to be the murderer, I think, initially. Yeah. And you can see how they're kind of setting up for it because it's like she's friends with the guy who eventually is the murderer in the film class but there's no real scenes establishing that they're like tight but you just see them like a scene will start and they're talking and then we move on to something else yeah i the first time i saw this movie i thought it was the the sorority girls the two sorority girls that are like super enthusiastic they just don't have any motive or anything there's no like through line that you can be like oh they're so jealous that they kill on the other hand they they seem to want to have Sydney in their sorority because of her notoriety. So and that killing her, her would make them, whether or not they're caught, would give them notoriety. That's very true. Well, and also too, if they can get Sydney to join, and then the murders start happening again, surrounding Sydney. Oh yeah, they're gonna get so many pledges to that sorority. Yeah, How wouldn't that be so much positive press? Gail yeah. Weathers would be outside that sorority every day. Yeah, I imagine sororities are like. They're self-funded, right? Like, you you join a sorority. I think and you just, like, wash cars and sell lemonade and stuff. I think that's additional stuff. But I would imagine, like, the real sororities that are essentially fucking mansions. Yeah, like the McMoney sororities. Too. Yeah, it's like you <laughs> donate $10,000 a year to your sorority. Yeah. Versus however much a dorm is. Yeah. The dorms were nice, though. Nobody needed to join a sorority. Yeah. Sydney and her roommate's room was huge enormous. Yeah, there were, like, little banks and tables with potpourri in the yeah, hallways. And then they she had gra- sconces on the wall. She grabbed a shower caddy to go use the bathroom. I'm like, oh, so you have walk-in closets but no washroom? Yeah, you got 600 square feet for your bedroom <laughs> and, like... I, I guess you're living in poverty because you gotta share it with one other person <laughs> that you don't know. Get your flip-flops. Uh. Dorms in real life are essentially just closets with beds in them. <laughs> yeah, they are just closets. Cotton's great in this movie. Cotton is... I'm so glad that Cotton is the cold open in Scream 3. I, I think the cold opens in, the, in these movies are so fucking perfect. Like, your first one, serious, dark, horror. Second one, a little campy. Next, the third one, fucking goofy and off the rails. I'm kind of sad for Cotton because they really, especially in the the... Um, the beginning of the third act of the film, they really press on Cotton as the killer. They really try to steer you towards him, especially in, like, the library scene and stuff. Okay. I wanted him to he's be... he's got the same boots as the killer. Yeah, well, and he's... He wants the press, he wants the publicity, he wants to clear his name, and he wants something good to come out of all this shit that he's experienced. He wants... Yeah, she owes him. He wants some notoriety, too. Yeah, and it seems like if he doesn't get it, he's willing to kill her. Well, you especially see that in the finale, where he, like, <laughs> he holds her to committing to that Diane yeah. Sawyer interview, otherwise maybe she'll die? Yeah, like, I wouldn't feel <laughs> happy about him saving my life in that moment either, because it's just like, okay, well, like, he... If I had have said no, he might have still shot me. Yeah, I was really hoping they would make him out to be a better guy, and I'm sad when he dies in the third film, because I wanted him to have some retribution when we're not suspecting him. 
Because he was just some normal guy who I, was sleeping with her mom, I mean, he right? was sleeping with a married woman. That's <laughs> not... Maybe he didn't know, right? He definitely knew. You think he knew? He totally knew. I don't know. It's not like his her mom was... Apparently Courtney her mom Cox was Arcan. a little, like, notorious for sleeping with... They say that all the time. They're just like, your mom was around town. <laughs> Every time we get a new character show up, it seems like they had some sort of relationship with their mother. So, I mean, <laughs> like, there's, there's that. And, uh, you ever wonder if dad was just a shitty husband? Like, he I seems like he's an okay dad, but we never get moments where he's just like, you know, this is really all my fault if I hadn't paid more attention to her, didn't spend so much time at work, da-da-da-da. I see, I don't even actually understand the full story of... Sydney's mom, because in the third one, they're like, oh, she was an actress, and she was in all these places. I was like, what was her mom doing? Wait, did he even sleep with her mom, or did those guys just plant his coat? Like, they stole his coat. I don't know. It's been a while. Well, no, because Sydney's mom was sleeping with, with Billy's dad, wasn't he? And that's, did they, they ran off together? Or he, his mom ran off. Uh, it's complicated. I don't know. It sounds like some small town I think it all stems, triangle. though, from Sydney's mom. Being around town. Yeah, sleeping with Cotton. <laughs> but yeah, I just wanted Cotton to be a better guy. He comes off as a creep throughout the he's whole He's a jerk movie. in this whole movie. Even the end. Like, when the reporters show up, and he's he's like, I'd love to talk to you guys, and, you know, for the right price, I will. And I'll tell you, it's going to make a great movie. Yeah. It's, it's a cool final line for his character, but he just comes off as a sleazeball. He is a, a sleazeball. It seems like all he learned in a year of, of prison life is how to take advantage of people and the press. <laughs> Yeah, I just wanted him to be a better guy. I mean, not everybody has to be great, I guess, because you have you have uh, Sergeant Dewey and Courtney Cox on the case. Them, the they're like team. crazy adventures throughout this movie. They have so many solo scenes where they're trying to. It's like the college kids are doing stuff, and then Gail Weathers and Dewey are on the case, but nobody has hired them. No, nobody. No. They're just trespassing on school property, and it's getting people killed. Like, they, they were all together, they were investigating shit, and then poor Randy had to die. What I love about that scene, one, I'm really sad that Randy died, because oh, yeah. Randy's your fan favorite. He's, he's, he's your us. horror fan. Yeah. yeah. But they kill him in broad daylight. Yeah. They scoop him up in a van, and they just murder him, and it is sunny and bright out. And people are And there are people around. everywhere. Oh. Even a window gets smashed and nobody thinks anything That's the it. rules of the sequel. You gotta yep. up your game. Oh, it's it's genius that he says that too, right? Like, it's gotta be more gory. It's gotta be bloodier. We need carnage candy. And, you know, in a normal, in the original Scream movie, we would have had that scene. We would have, you know, through the broken glass, seen that he's been stabbed, heard it, blood's dripping out from under the van, and maybe that's it. The reaction shots of people opening the door, sure, but we get a full, like, four or five seconds of just what his dead body looks like. And it's, uh, it's gruesome. And you wouldn't have gotten that if it wasn't a sequel. Well, and apparently, um, when Wes Craven was submitting the film to the MPAA, mm-hmm. he extended all of those scenes. Nice. Because he was trying to control what they would ask him to cut out. Yeah. So that they could keep things that they really wanted to keep. Yeah, like if you want four seconds of carnage, give them ten seconds and they, they'll ask you to take it down to zero and maybe you, you know, you'll compromise around three or four. Exactly. So what they did was they had it, like they filmed it showing his no. throat being slit. Um, Omar Epps at the beginning, he stabs him three times in the head. Wow. That one stab is enough for the me. The one stab is unsettling. That's a weird fucking place to be stabbed. Yeah, we didn't even really talk about that all that much, but those two kills at the beginning hurt my heart to They are, watch. like, really dark. There's yeah. nothing funny about being stabbed in the ear. Maybe that's like, the Except for in Scream when they do it with, like, a wiener, but... <laughs> 
And he kills them because they have similar names to the people in the original Woodsboro killings, correct? I, yeah, there's this copycat thing. Like, he's trying to copy the names or the initials of the order yeah. of the first victim. Because at first you think like, they have no connection to this whatsoever. They're just innocent bystanders. Yeah, and you're like, wow, that killer sure knew that that guy you murdered in the bathroom had a girlfriend and where she yeah. was sitting in that stab screening. Right? They did not. Maybe that's what it is. They did not need to die whatsoever. Because once the killer shows up and we've got characters that know there's a killer around, we're in a game. And if you get killed, you've lost the game. Like, as sick and twisted as that is, that's those are the rules. Uh, but at the beginning, it's just an innocent person who didn't deserve this whatsoever. Yeah, because Cece, who is in a fellow sorority, she di- she dies next. Her death is probably my favorite. I love the, the co-eddiness of it. Okay. Um, that's just my favorite kill on the whole Maybe the whole franchise. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, I love the play on the phone call and how there's another girl upstairs who's changing and making noises. That is a pretty awesome scene. Um, and how she thinks the guy on the phone is Ted and she hangs up with her friend to talk to Ted, but it's not Ted. And when she picks back up, she's like, hey, who's this? He's like, it's Ted. And she's like, oh, hey, it's your dumb boyfriend. Yeah. And it's the killer. But so she actually leaves the house, but there's no reception on the phone and she can't call the campus security. So she comes back in. She realizes the noise was just the girl upstairs all along getting changed. And while she's talking to the girl and the front door is wide open, that's when Ghostface gets in. And you in. see him go in. He's oh. like, there, you, you could have gotten out of all, that, could have gotten out alive. That whole kill scene of Sarah Michelle Gellar's character could have, it's strong enough that it could have been a cold open. I love, yep. I love that whole kill. Even to have Jada Pinkett killed at the beginning. Like, these are big enough names, like Drew Barrymore, that you almost don't really see it coming. Mm-hmm. I think in a sequel, you're, you're expecting it. You know it's gonna happen. But yeah, having Sarah Michelle Gellar killed at the beginning would have been, would have been pretty good. And all these people were really big at the time. Like, yeah. they're all in big 90s television shows. Apparently, Nev Campbell was working seven days a week, and she wouldn't sleep in between filming from Scream to the wow. Party of Five set. Is that what it was? Yeah. Yeah. And well, Party of Five, had Jennifer Love Hewitt, who starred in I Know What You Did Last Summer, which oh, is yeah. also so painfully 90s. Man, if you liked if you liked pop culture in the 90s, you were getting treated pretty heavily. Are there any other scenes in Scream that we did not talk about that you want to talk about? Uh... What do you think about the killer choice? We didn't even talk about... So the killer ends up being Mickey, the film student, who's the friend of Randy and the crew, and also the annoying reporter who's been bugging Gail, who turns out to be Billy Loomis's mother. Yeah, uh, I think uh, I found both of them surprising when I first saw it, and I think they are both great choices. Yeah, I was kind of just meh on it. Scream 2, I don't necessarily care who the killer is. It's no. more about the process. Even yeah. though there's a lot of whodunit in this, and there's a lot of red herrings, um, you kind of speculate, you guess everybody at mm-hmm. one point. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they, they really do that. It's interesting to find out that the script leaked, and so there's so much misdirection throughout the rest of the movie. Everybody in the movie, including her boyfriend, who is nothing but charming. Such a sweet, gentle soul. Right? <laughs> um, bears his heart on a song that he can Cannot sing. Uh, and gives her his frat letters, the thing you're I don't supposed know, to do. I don't know. Class um, ring. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a class ring at first, too. So did I. <laughs> uh, I love that they had to... Ex- it's it's such a thing that probably doesn't exist that they had to explain it to the screen. Like, oh, you're not supposed to give your letters to a girl no matter what. They're going to get oh, them for this. Gonna, yeah. And then they do. <laughs> oh, they sure uh-huh. I guarantee they only get them because those two girls ratted them out. Further proof that they could have been the killers all along. Oh. Yeah. I, I, like I said, I love the misdirection. I think it's great. I think you suspect everybody. Uh, I don't know that I ever really suspected what's-his-face from the film class or Billy Loomis's mother. 
I love that she's back. I think that's cool that she wants revenge. Yeah. Uh, because revenge was also Billy's motivation. And it's so simple, too, because it's oh, like, yeah. this guy's just crazy. I'm going for the classic motivation of just revenge. And yeah. You're like, Mother's Whoa. revenge, too. But his motivation, that he super wants to get away with it because he's going to blame horror movies. That's genius. That ties into everything that you're seeing in this movie, everything that was happening in real life. And it's it's totally true. It's a spectacle. It's a circus. It's all about the court case. Like, this would have been after O.J. Simpson. Uh, yeah, very true. Yeah. Uh, I think the cool thing about Mickey, too, in this movie is that he's just small enough a character that you never wonder where he is. A lot of the first movie, when you rewatch it, knowing that there's two killers, you're guessing where the other one is because yeah. they are part of the main core friend group. Mm -hmm. So one needs to be somewhere so you're not thinking about where the other one is because you don't think there's two killers. Yeah. But in this one, you're, you're trained. You know there's probably two. There might be two. So you're kind of keeping tabs on everybody in the main group, but Mickey's not quite part of the main group. No, not really. So we don't really care where he is. And he's sort of antagonistic to Randy the entire time. So you you don't really expect that he's going to be the killer. He's just kind of like a jerk who doesn't really get along with Randy. But he genuinely cares, quote unquote, you know, like it, it's fake. But he looks like he is invested in Sydney, and she's upset and he's there to be a shoulder to cry on uh, just because he's a, like a human being. Mm -hmm. But he's definitely soulless. He's a serial killer. She found him on the, the 90s dark web. <laughs> so like what? We, he was posting manifestos talking about how he wants to kill people. But I just I need a backer. I don't have the money for this she like it's a plastic costume mask and an audio thing for your boy you're 100 right now that i'm thinking about it i think it's that he wanted to be the like specifically be a copycat killer of the westboro murders uh but to do that i have to go to this specific university and follow sydney prescott which mm. i cannot afford so if you'd like to fund my kickstarter campaign uh, i will go murder these children you can get 50 percent of the cred yeah <laughs> Yeah, how much of the murdering do you think she does? She probably does an equal amount. She definitely kills Randy. She kills Randy. But I think that's all we really know about. That's kind of interesting, because Mickey was his friend, so maybe he didn't want to kill Randy. She probably is responsible for anybody that has a connection to Westboro. Like, she attacked Dewey, she attacked Gail, mm. Randy, and I guess and I guess Sydney. He's the one, though, that has the, the bump on his head. From the the girl do oh car that's what I wanted to talk about that car that accident we, is great we did not talk about so at some point Sydney gets a tale of two detectives and then they decide you know what it's not safe enough for you here we're gonna take you to a safe house she brings her friend who could still very well be the murderer yeah nobody has checked her out nope. I mean she doesn't really get many character traits though that poor friend is just like a best friend the whole movie yeah she there's probably a great backstory about how like I'm always under your shadow it's like I'm not even here I'm a bad Character. That's a cool killer. That would have um, been great. Well, isn't that the killer in Spoiler Alert? That movie that came out with the. I still know you did last summer? No, I was going to say Happy Death Day, but I don't want I don't know if that's too recent to spoil. <laughs> uh, the second one is being filmed right now. I think you're good. Um, I said Spoiler Alert. Um, How fast do you have to react? What if you're on a treadmill right now and you're just like, like oh, fumbling for your phone off no! <laughs> Like that damn nightmare on Phil Street ruining everything. Uh, so that, that scene, so. Ghostface shows up, the cop car just crashes in this construction zone that they're driving through, yep. and 
kills the, the police officers, like, just disposes of them quickly. There's brutal, rebar too. in the eye. Ugh. There's, like, there is cop death. Ghostface takes command of the car because the girls are in the back of a cop car. You cannot get out of the back of a cop car. Oh, yeah. Uh, but then they get in that car accident because the last detective is on the hood. Ghostface crashes. Rebar goes through his eye. Ugh. Super cool. Ghostface is knocked unconscious. And At least you assume, right? Because you can't see his eyes. Yeah, and the the rebar pierces the back cage, separating the back of the car to the front of the car. So the only way the girls can get out is to pull this cage uh, apart, mm-hmm. climb into the front seat, and climb over Ghostface and out Ugh. the window. It's it's so good, because you're expecting him to maybe grab her foot when she gets out. We know she's safe, so you figure, okay, the second girl needs to come. She's going to get grabbed. Uh, but they both get out okay, and uh, it, it's so tense, that whole scene. I really enjoyed it. Oh, it's a really great scene. That is definitely the most suspenseful mm. part of the whole movie. Yeah. If that roommate turned out to be a killer, though, that could have been a great showdown moment. Where she's stuck in the back with... Locked in with her. Yeah. And the only the only other person around is an unconscious second killer. Ah, uh, could have been good. Yeah, my only big fault with that scene is that the cop that dies in the front of the car, we do a close-up shot of him dying and losing grip Ugh. on the gun. Yeah. That's resting on the dashboard. That gun that gun does come into play at the end because that's the gun that Billy Loomis's mom is going to use to frame them with. Yep. She never grabs that gun. Her friend gets stabbed 20 feet away. Like, she could have shot Ghostface in the face when he was passed out in the front of the car before she took the mask off. There is a gun just resting there. And I know maybe they didn't see it, but you're traveling with two police officers who are now dead. They probably have guns in holsters mm. on their person. That's as far as you need to run. You just need to run to the dead body with the gun on it. <laughs> yeah, have you never played a video game before? Run to the gun! <laughs> I don't know that there's anything else I want to mention. I mean, I don't... That fucking play that she's in, the Creek play. First off, good choice. Cool. This character is cursed to everything that she says is a prophecy that will come true, but nobody believes her. That's great. I I would have even loved if we played up on that a little more throughout the rest of the movie. Yeah, because I don't see her as being treated like she's crying wolf at all in this movie. No. I mean, and you would believe her, though, because if she's like, oh, my God, they're back again. I mean, Randy's like, oh, shit. But I don't think so. But if anything, oh, shit. he is that Greek character. He tells you what's going to happen. Everybody's like, yeah, 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 we're not in a movie, Randy. Yeah. The masks and stuff I get, because in the play, she's being plagued by all these masked figures, which works really well visually, mm-hmm. especially that little nightmare sequence she has. Yeah. So that I get. But, yeah, it doesn't necessarily thematically or metaphorically fit with the movie. Could have worked to have your sorority house sisters become the murderers, though. Because they are in that play. and They are are in that play. Yeah. We even see them later when uh, her boyfriend is being strung up by his frat buddies. They're there. They're holding the knives. Not that it's really menacing or anything, but it could have easily just been good back catalog for them to eventually become the killers when you're watching it a second time. Mm -hmm. Like, you're seeing little bits of the puzzle come together. Very true. What's your rating, though? Uh... Four out of four. You get okay. I, All right. <laughs> basically, anything that comes out of the nineties is just like a straight four for me. Oh, and the concept in of Scream as a franchise, you can't beat it. Everything that it does, it does perfectly. 
Even when you're like, oh, even the bad is... things it does great because it's intentional, right? <laughs> like I think it, I think maybe it hides behind that a little bit. Like, oh yeah, no, this is supposed to be bad. And you're like, oh okay, so it's not actually bad. I get you, I get you. Uh, not that not that I think anything in this movie is actually bad. I'm a little lower than you on this one. I don't really know why. Now that I'm thinking about it, I have no justification. But I, I give this movie a three point five out of four. Cool. Yeah. I also have to mention too, because we didn't say anything about it, the the score in this movie is dope. Uh, the score in all the screen movies are is super dope. It's this like industrially version for this one. Um, my favorite moment is when it's beginning of the third act, and Officer Dewey is like on the case officially, and he runs out of the school, and they use. I think it's the original score, but oh, it's... the red right hand? It's just a chunk of, like, the sound. And it's, like, this western, wild west Yeah, and yeah, that Nick um, Cave song, yeah. It's definitely, like, the Dewey score. You're right. They use it again in the third one pretty early on in the movie, too, but they're... Just for Dewey, though. Yeah. Just oh, for yeah. Dewey. Yeah, and he's on a movie set. Like, he's a consultant at this point. A oh, technical advisor. So great. But you're right, it's it's a more and more stripped-down version every time. So I love that left-right-hand shit. I love it. I'm ready for it. <laughs> I listen to the rest of the album. It's really fucking good. He's like, you're right, he's like a like a Western... Uh, Western Tom Waits. I think Tom Waits is almost a Western Tom Waits, too, but you're right. If the two of Industrial those, Tom if Waits. If the two of those guys walked into a saloon, I'd know what I was in for. Like Johnny Cash, Tom Waits, and... Nick Cave. I was going to say, like, asleep Trent Reznor. <laughs> <laughs> Like, Trent Reznor fell asleep with his foot on the, um... <laughs> Just on, like, a on reverb pedal? Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. Oh, man. All right, so, Stream 2 wins, which is kind of crazy. Um, let us know what you thought about both films over on Twitter at NOFS Podcast, over in our Facebook group. That is facebook.com slash groups slash horror fiends of NOFS. Yeah, let us know which you think is the better meta horror. Wes Craven's New Nightmare or Wes Craven's Scream 2. And thank you guys again for two years of Nightmare on Film Street. That yeah. is insane. I am crazy excited. Why? I, two years we've been doing this. It, in some ways does not feel like it has been that long, and in other ways, no, like it has been a thousand times longer. <laughs> because, one, we haven't improved at all. Nope, nope. <laughs> Still zero credibility. <laughs> Still just a bunch of goofs. Um, but thank you guys so much for taking this like horror journey with us and listening every other week before it was every week, checking out our website, Twitter, social media, all that stuff. We have so much fun interacting with you guys every day, and we have no plans of stopping soon. Oh, not at all. This is way too much fun. Thank you for your reviews. Thank you for your tweets, your recommendations, uh, your Instagram posts of you just like, oh, finally checking out this podcast i love it I, I i love talking to you guys you are recommending new movies to us constantly and that is one of the great things about a horror audience we will watch everything and no matter how much you think you've seen there is still a ton of movies out there that are fresh to you that other people have been watching for years and even just seeing older movies with fresh eyes i love getting yeah. different perspectives from people and then mm -hmm. revisiting movies that maybe i didn't love the first time or things i didn't see the first time because horror's got Horror's got a weird community, and I'm so happy that we're a part of it. We are controlling transmission. Have a trouble with a This week's episode of Nightmare on Film Street is brought to you by Deadly Grounds, Coffee to Die For. Made from 100% Arabica beans, Deadly Grounds is horror-themed gourmet coffee without any fancy names or titles.
This week's blend is the Northern Nightmare, a Canadian exclusive blend roasted to perfection, flavored with sweet Canadian gold, maple syrup. Head over to getdeadly.ca to pick up your brew and use the promo code NIGHTMARE to get 15% off your entire purchase. That's promo code NIGHTMARE at getdeadly.ca. And if you'll be in the GTA on Friday, August 31st, we're going to be hosting horror-themed trivia at the Deadly Grounds Cafe in Curtis, Ontario. Come win some horror prizes and get your nightmare on. We're going to stick around for a few more minutes, and we're going to play a game that Kim has put together. Kim, what are you calling this game? I'm calling this game Five Meta Horrors at Freddy's. Oh, clever. I like it. If you'd like to hear that game and every other game that we've put together for our episodes, head over to patreon.com slash Nightmare on Film Street. For as little as $1 an episode, you can become a supporter of Nightmare on Film Street and take ownership of the content that we put out here. This show would be nothing without your support. Uh, and we thank everybody, whether or not you're a supporter, for listening. Side note, did you have a really hard time saying Nightmare on Elm Street and Nightmare on Film Street throughout this entire episode? Honestly, not not nearly as much as I used to. It used <laughs> to be very hard. It was uh, like back in the in the the really olden days when we for whatever reason kept Cabin in the Woods. Cabin in the Woods and, and Cabin, cabin Fever. fever. <laughs> for like a year and a half it plagued us. I oh. figured out how to separate Nightmare on Film Street and Nightmare on Elm Street way faster than I was able to do that and oh. neither of those movies have anything to do with See, each other. See, I think it's because we went Nightmare on Film Street instead of A Nightmare on Film Street oh. because I in my head I'm like A Nightmare on Elm Street, Nightmare on Film Street. We yeah. have we have some differences other than the film and the elm. <laughs> Still don't know how we managed to call Cabin in the Woods Cabin Fever. So many times. So many times. Yeah. Like, we could fill a swear jar. And now I'm just <laughs> advertising people go back and listen to our early episodes, which I really don't want. <laughs> Please to. don't go. Oh, it's, it's not worth it. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. And we will be back at you in two weeks with another regularly scheduled episode. I'm Kim. I'm John. Stay, Stay creepy. It appears you made it out alive. Just long enough to tell the tale of the nightmare on Film Street. Ow! Help us grow the horde. Leave a review on iTunes or wherever you subscribe. Continue this week's conversation on Twitter by following at N-O-F-S Podcast. And as always, more terror can be found lurking on our website, www.nightmareonfilmstreetpodcast.com. Until next week, stay creepy, fiends. <laughs>